we have done uh, up on this stage a number of baby dedications. I've never, ever used this text. And I probably won't. Because it's uh, a little bit dark. It's a little bit... Uh, and, and here's what's going on in, in the passage in Luke we're going to look at. Uh, Mary is bringing uh, her firstborn son, Jesus, to the temple as required by the law because the law said that the firstborn son belongs to God. And so they had to bring an offering. And so Mary brings Jesus to the temple as an offering, or as to dedicate and brings an offering for Jesus, two turtle doves. You'll see that in the text. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, Simeon, who is a, a God-fearer, a follower of God, he takes Jesus into his arms and he blesses Jesus. And what he says is really pretty, pretty incredible. And we're going to look at that passage today. Now, I've been encouraging you to bring your Bibles. And it, it occurred to me that I'm only encouraging you to bring the old, whoops, the old school Bible. But there's the new school Bible, isn't there? There's the electronic Bible. So if you have an iPhone, a smartphone, or uh, an Android or some type of uh, phone, if you go to, uh, and I'm going to recommend this website because we're going to probably use their reading plan next year, um, Uversion, Y-O-U-Version.com, and they have an application for the uh, Apple phone, Android, Palm. Does anybody ever use a, still use a Palm, uh, BlackBerry? Um, so they have an app for, for all those phones, and you can download uh, the reading plan and the, the text and st stuff like that. So I'm saying to you, if you brought your Bible and you're using this or an iPad or something like that, uh, that's great. You know, I don't really care how you do it, but I want to encourage you to do it. So I'm going to read from the old school Bible, uh, and I'm going to read chapter 2 of uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, his name, uh, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if the, first, if the woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered us the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and, he, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby to Jesus the Lord, uh, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you promised. Uh, I have seen your salvation, and which you have prepared for all your people. He is the light, or he is a light, to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of, of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed uh, at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, The child, this child, is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, um, what we want to do is we want to look at these, uh, these words of Simeon. But what do we know about Simeon? Well, we know a few things. We know that he was a righteous and a devout uh, God-fearer and follower. And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah. And the Messiah was somebody that they expected, the nation of Israel, the faithful were waiting for. And he was going to come and deliver Israel. And they saw him more as a political leader. And, and so some people like the zealots that, that were, were tended to be more um, politically, military-driven. Uh, probably Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, was a zealot. And um, that's why he kind of walked away from Jesus, because he saw that Jesus wasn't going to be this political ruler. Um, obviously, he did it for money and all the other things. But um, we also know about Simeon that he was being led by the Spirit of God and that he spoke the very words of God. Now, what I want to say, I want to stop for a minute and just talk about Simeon just for a minute. Because no matter what time, no matter what age, there's always been a faithful follower of God. There's always been that remnant of people who say, I love God, I'm going to follow God. And, uh, you know, you see that all through Scripture. For instance, in... Uh, when you see Elijah, he's up on the mountain and he's battling all the, the prophets of, uh, and, and he has this wonderful victory and then Queen Jezebel comes after him and he's running, he's fleeing for his life and he, he, he finds a, a place to hide and he cries out to God, God, I'm, I'm the only one who hasn't bowed a knee. I'm the only one. Everyone else, everyone's against me. And, and God says, whoa, 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 time out, time out. There's 7,000. There's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's a faithful remnant. Uh, think of uh, dark Babylon. Babylon was so dark. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, they were told over and over, you need to bow down. You need to bow down. And they wouldn't bow down. They were faithful. Even in the darkest Babylon, there was faithful followers. And, and that's the way it's always been. And even today, you know, no matter how dark our world gets, there's always going to be that remnant. There's always going to be that, those faithful followers who, who, who follow God. And Simeon is an example of that. And here's the words. Here's the words. And I want to focus in on these, these words because this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. He says, I've seen your salvation, speaking to God, which you prepared for all people. He, speaking of the child Jesus, he is the light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God. But will be opposed by men, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts uh, of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says this, and a sword will pierce your soul. He says, he says to Mary, Mary, this child will be like a sword. He's going to pierce your soul. That's why we don't use this at a baby dedication. It doesn't go over real well. Um, now let's let's look at Simeon's prophecy and let's look at it and say, what is he saying here? What is what are the implications? Well, the first thing that we draw from this is we all begin our spiritual journey in darkness. You know, every one of us develops physically. We develop, uh, hopefully, emotionally and, and, and uh, uh, relationally in our relationships. And we, we develop in many areas. Well, in the same way, spiritually, there has to be uh, this development. But here's the difference in the area of spirituality, in the area of, of, of our uh, spirit side. Unless God floods our heart with the light of the gospel, our hearts will be dark. 
You know, there's a lot of spiritual darkness in this world today. I mean, you go, you go to any bookstore, go to Barnes & Noble or any bookstore and go to the area of spirituality and, and pull some of the books out and read some of it. There's a lot of darkness there. There's a lot of nonsense, a lot of crazy things out there. And, and many people go there and they read it and they say, well, I guess that's right or I guess this is right. And there's all these ideas out there. But what, what, let's be clear about what Jesus claimed when he was on earth. Jesus claimed to be well, let's read it. John, John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We'll have the light of light. What Jesus is saying here is pretty dramatic. He's saying, I am the light that shines through all the other darkness. There is no other light other than me. There's not 50 ways up the mountain. We all get to the top and we high five. We, we chest bump. We, we say, hey, we all made it. We all just... No, Jesus basically says, there's one light. There's one light. There's one truth. And, and it's me. And, 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 and if you don't understand that, you're going to be in darkness. Jesus is saying, there's not one of many ways to navigate the darkness. There's only one way. And that sets Jesus apart from all world religions. And... Uh, the other thing I want you to see here is what, what Simeon is saying is that Jesus is going to be a light. He's going to be a light. And that when, when the light comes out, there's going to be uh, uh, different reactions to the light. Um, only, and, and this is important to understand, only as the light of the gospel lights our hearts will our lives change. Only as the light of the gospel comes into our lives. What I mean by this is this. <clears throat> there was a time in your life probably where you looked at Scripture, or maybe you heard it, and, and it was like Charlie Brown's teacher. It, it, it just didn't, didn't ring any bells. It just didn't, it did, nothing really happened. But then there was a day that all of a sudden the light went on. All of a sudden you noticed. All of a sudden you understood. All of a sudden it all made sense. It all came together. You, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. I understand it. Oh, wow. You know, and you had this moment, and you just, it's just so exciting. It's so incredible. It's it, it, Jesus calls it being born again. And I've, had, I've dealt with people who said, you know, I went to church and I never heard this. And, and I said, no, you heard it. The problem was your heart was dark. The problem was the light of the gospel hadn't gone into your heart yet. And you weren't ready to hear it. And I want to just make a, I want to, uh, let, me, let me say this. Let me read this. And Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, I want to stop here and I make a moment, and I'm going to probably pay for this, but I'll, I'll do it anyways because I think it's important. I, I really am concerned that sometimes we Christians get off base. We get so concerned about a person's lifestyle. We say, well, they're gay. Uh, they're, um, they're, they're, they're wild, they're, 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 they're liberal, they're whatever. They're, they've got all, you know, and, and so we, we label them. We say, well, they've got this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. So what do we do? We say, well, we've got to get them straight. We've got to get them sober. We've got to get them this. We've got to get them that, whatever. And you know what? I, I, I just got to be honest with you. So what? So let, let's say we, they're, they're gay and then we make them straight or, or they're, 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 they're not sober and we make them sober or they've got a raucous lifestyle and, and they now become into a more conservative lifestyle. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they're still going to hell. It really doesn't matter, does it? Does it matter how clean you are when you go to hell? Does it matter what your lifestyle is when you go to hell? Does it matter, uh, you know, if you're a drunk or not, whether you go to hell? Does it matter if you sleep around or not, whether, if you're going to hell? See, 
we, we approach things wrong and we get distracted by the wrong things. We get freaked out about a person's lifestyle. And just to be honest, lifestyles are going to get crazier and crazier. And you can either choose to get more freaked out about it or you can go to the heart. The heart of the issue is until God enlightens a heart, nothing in that life is going to change. The biggest problem that anybody has who doesn't know Jesus, whatever their lifestyle is, whatever their choices are, is they don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, nothing in their life is going to change. So let's stop getting freaked out about all these things and say we have to straighten this out and straighten this out and straighten this out. No, they need to know Jesus. Once they know Jesus, Jesus will begin to work in their lives and in their hearts. And you know what the biggest proof of that is? You folks. Because that's what he did with you. There are people here that could stand up today and say, you wouldn't believe who I was before Jesus. When Jesus came into my life, my life changed radically. Why do we treat the symptoms and not the cause? The most important thing you could ever do is pray, God, may the light of your gospel pierce that person's heart. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be on our knees, on our faces, praying for God to turn hearts. Let's stop all this judging and getting all freaked out about life. Why would we expect people to, to have the power and the ability to walk with God and to please God if they don't know God? I'm sorry, I'm on my little soapbox here. But you get my point. You understand what I'm saying. We get freaked out about all these things. We say, well, we've got to fix this. No, they need to know Christ once they go and let Jesus work on them. It's not your job anyways. Anyways, that's my first point. Unless the light comes into your life, nothing's going to change. Here's the second thing that we draw from Simeon. We must all decide who gets to be king in our lives. This is really important. Simeon's words show us that we must come to a decision point about Jesus. He's, he, Simeon either he says he's going to cause some to rise and he's going to cause some to fall. In other words, what Simeon is saying is that Jesus is going to be, for some people, a stumbling block or he's going to be a building block. He's either going to be a stumbling block or a building block. There is no in-between. You're either going to give him your life and your full devotion or you're not. There's really no way, there's no way around that. And Jesus spoke about that, you know, and this is going to mess up Christmas for you. I'm sorry, you know, because we have this, this beautiful idea of a baby in a manger and he's so peaceful and tranquil. Yeah, I know, and that's true. But then he says stuff like this. Matthew chapter 10. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Love it. Use it at baptisms all the time. Fabulous. But then he keeps going. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I've come to bring peace to earth. Wait a minute. Don't we sing a song, peace on earth, goodwill to men? He says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that's a little more understandable, but. (laughs) Your enemies will be right in your own household. In other words, your enemies aren't going to be outside. They're going to be right in you. They're your family. (laughs) Whatever that means. 
He's, and, and, and he goes on. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life you will, uh, for me, you will find it. Jesus is really pretty divisive here. He, he, he's not this sweet little baby in a manger. He's saying, you know what? I, when I come here, I'm going to pick a fight. I'm going to divide. I'm going to cause conflict. And now, why would he do that? Because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And because he's the king of kings, and because he's the lord of lords, he owns you. You belong to him. You're his possession. And, and, and let's be real clear. He's saying, if, if I don't own you, I'm not your God. If someone makes a claim that they own you, you have two choices. You either fight them or you submit. That's essentially what Jesus, he's saying there's no middle ground. You don't, I don't share my majesty with anyone. I don't share it with you. There's only one king. And, and we know Paul says, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we're not there today. In other words, he's saying you can't be in the middle. And Jesus says this all the time. I mean, he, 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 he picks a fight. He picks a fight all the time. He's, he's, he, let, let me give you a couple of examples. Remember, the, the major challenges he had with the religious leaders is they think, who are you? Who gave you authority? By what authority do you do this? Who gave you the right to do this? Who, who are you? They were saying that all the time. Remember the rich young ruler comes to him and, and, and he says, you know, I kept the law and, and, and I'm, I'm a really good person. And Jesus says, okay, whatever. And I don't necessarily think Jesus was agreeing with him. I think he's just saying, okay, yeah, well, well, whatever. Let's go here because I think this is the issue. And he says, okay, you're pretty rich, aren't you? Uh, is that your source of security? Is that your source of uh, satisfaction? Is that your source of significance? You're rich and, and you could just, here's what I want you to do. I think that's competing for me. So let's just make sure that that's off the table. Go sell it, give it to the poor, and then you come and follow me. And then the rich man went away, and he was sad because he said, yeah, I guess, guess you can't be God in my life. Or remember Jesus, when he shocked his followers, he said, you know what? If your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Because you know what? It's better to enter into heaven without an eye and without a, without a hand and to enter into heaven then enter into hell and have two eyes and two hands. Better. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, that, you know, no matter how much we try to fix people up until the light comes in and change, you know, not change is impossible. Let me give you another one. Jesus made this statement, and he lost a lot of followers. He said, he says, here's how devoted I want you to be to me. I want you to eat my flesh, and I want you to drink my blood. And people said, that's cannibalism. Of course, we can't do that. I mean, we're going to do communion right now. And, and there are some parts of the Catholic, or, oh, there I threw it out there, that basically say the, the, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. And they would go to this verse and say, there, there's the text for it. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I really don't. Let me give you an illustration. I think Jesus is saying, you have to be absolutely fully committed to me. Absolutely fully. This isn't a 50-50. I'm not an accessory. I'm God. I'm king of kings and lord of lords. Or I'm not. It's either one or the other. It's, it's either I'm God or I'm not. Either I'm God or you're God. You have to choose. 
you need to be fully committed to me. Now, let, let me give you an illustration of what I think he's saying about this whole drink my, eat, eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. Um, have you ever had this happen? If you haven't imagined that it could, because it probably will. Um, somebody offers you uh, food. Let's just say mincemeat pie. And I had one person come up to me afterwards and says, oh, I love mincemeat pie. Good. So I think my illustration held true because nobody else did. But let's just say, let's just say somebody, somebody, you know, gives you a piece of mincemeat pie and they say, oh, you've got to try this. It's fabulous. I made it just for you. And you go, mincemeat pie, not pot pie, mincemeat pie. So it's got meat in it and it's supposed to be dessert. That just doesn't seem right. And so you're thinking all of that stuff, and the person is smiling, and they want you to take a bite, and you go, and I'm not going to get out of this. i got to take a bite. And you take a bite, and you chew it, and you start going, this isn't really very good. I mean, you're not saying that out loud, but you're thinking that really strongly in your, your taste buds and all that are telling you, this is horrible, this is horrible. And you got a big piece of pie. Now, at that moment, you're not committed to that piece of pie. You don't want to eat that piece of pie. And Jesus basically saying, is, are you committed or not? Are you committed or not? Are you fully committed to me or not? There's no in-between. You see, he demands our complete adoration and allegiance. In Simeon's words, he basically says, Jesus is either going to be a building block in your life or he's going to be a stumbling block. There's no in-between. None. You will not have in-between. There's no middle ground. Now, many people today in uh, in, even in Jesus' day, reject him. They reject his work on the cross, and he has become a stumbling block to them. Others uh, are, uh, have found Jesus, and they've been found him as a building block. They found forgiveness. They found freedom. They found everything in Jesus. So let me ask you a couple questions. Is he your king of kings? Is he your lord of lords? Well, here's a couple of questions you should ask. Who rules in your heart? Uh, well, how do you know? Well, here's how you'll know. The thing that rules your heart, the thing that controls your heart is when it is threatened, when, when you think you're going to lose it, when, when, when it's in jeopardy, your life will come apart. You will say, it's over. I'm in trouble. I'm it could be a relationship. It could be anything. But when it's threatened, when it, it could be your security. You say, oh, no, no. If, if that happens, I'm gonna lose, I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're, you know, it, could, it could be a whole bunch of things. But when it's threatened, your world falls apart. You say, what do I do? I don't know what I'm going to do. My life's a mess. I'm a, I'm a, it's a total disaster. Or let's talk about money for a minute because Jesus did. Jesus says where your heart is or where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So Jesus made a really tight connection between our money and our hearts. And so let me make that connection. Um, let me ask you this. Are you tithing? You know, we're, we're going to do this uh, in one of our initiatives for the next uh, few years is we're calling it 5 for 15. And what we're saying is we want every person, as many people as possible, to get involved in these five things. We want you to reflect on God's word every day. We want you to take it, read a portion, and reflect on it. Think about it. You say, well, what does it mean to reflect? I don't know if I know how to reflect. I wish I had said these other services. This is a bonus just to the service this weekend. Here's what reflection means. Have you ever worried? Worry means you're, re you're reflecting on bad things. You're thinking about them over and over. You're running them in your mind until you're going crazy. And you're just driving yourself crazy. And everyone around you, you're worried about this, worried about this. You're ref that's reflection. That's negative reflection. We want you to positively reflect on God's word where God's word says, I love you. 
that'll never change. And you reflect on that. And you, you just turn it around. You marvel at it. You just are amazed by it. You're just, we want you to do that every day on a portion of Scripture. We want you to pray every day. We want you to commune with God and talk with Him every day. We want you to share your faith on a regular basis. You just help people take one step closer to God. We want you to do that in your life. Uh, why, why do we want you to do that? Because we think this is what the Bible tells us to do and how we, you know, please God and grow and, and obedient to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We want you to serve God and use your gift within his kingdom. We want you to give and, and frankly, Give sacrificially and give regularly. And, and one of the ways you can, you can, you know, in our culture, one of the ways, one of the standards is tithing. Tithing means you give 10% of your income. Now, my wife and I have since, for, I think since we've been married, have tithed. That's, that's not easy. We've got two kids in college right now, and it's, it's hard. It's very hard. Now, why am I saying that to you? To brag? No, I'm not saying to brag. I'm saying... I'm doing it, so I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not already doing. But what I'm telling you is this. It's, it's fairly easy to reflect on Scripture. You don't really have a lot of skin in the game. You can do it. It's not a big, you know, it's not going to take you time, you know. You can pray. That's not a real commitment. You, you could share your faith every now and then. That's not a huge commitment. I mean, you could do that. That's, that's not. But when you start saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start serving significantly in an area of giftedness, you may have to say, you know, I'm going to change my schedule because I'm going to have to find time to serve. I'm going to I'm have to push some other things aside so that I can do that. When you talk about money, well, there, there you go. I mean, you got skin in the game. If you're going from, from maybe doing, just giving a little bit to giving 10% of your income, what are you going to have to do there? You're going to have to say, whoa. Man, that's, that's huge because what, what's going to have to take place here? I'm going to have to get out of debt. I'm going to have to, <laughs> somehow I'm going to have to find a way. Uh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm going to have to say no to this, and I'm going to have to say no to this so that I have that extra so that I can give that to God. And by the way, that's supposed to be off the top, not the extra. But that's a whole other sermon, and I don't have time for that. Oh, the reason I'm doing this is this gets to the heart of what is your God and what drives you. See, what is it? And, and that's why Jesus went to the rich young ruler. That's why Jesus is over and over. He talks about money. Because he knows that has a way of getting a hold of our heart. So those are the five things we want you to do. And we're going to be talking more about that. Or let me give you another one. Who rules your affections? What would you give everything for? What are you giving everything for? Not on the surface, but below the surface. What's the most important thing in your life? that you are a significant person, that people affirm you, that you feel good about who you are? Is that the most important thing in your life? Or is it security, knowing that I'm safe, knowing that I'm okay, and, and you worry about being sick, and you worry about having enough money, and you worry about, you, you worry about all those things? You know, that, that, that gets to the heart of what is your king. Here's the third thing and the final thing we want to look at. Simeon says we must all allow his sword to pierce our spirit and our hearts, our souls. Simeon tells us that Jesus will be a sword that will... And here's the big idea I want you to see. If you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you'll get a sword in your soul. You'll get a sword in your soul if you love Jesus. Well, what do I mean by that? 
Well, Mary stands before Simeon as a representative of anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. And Simeon is basically predicting to Mary, Mary, this baby boy, this boy that I'm holding in my arms, this boy that you gave birth to, this boy that you came to present at the temple, this boy is going to crush your heart. He's going to put a spear, a sword through your heart. He's going to break your heart. He's going to destroy your heart. And he did. And he did. And for us today, if you love him, if you stand by him, it, uh, it, the same is true. Just like Mary, if you follow Jesus, he's a divider. He's going to put a sword in your heart. Let, let me give you an illustration of how that can happen. If you begin to follow Jesus Christ, and you're running around with people who don't love Jesus, you're going to basically say, you know, I can't do some of the things that I was doing. I'm going to walk, and they're going to say, you're betraying us. You're walking away from us. And it's going to hurt, and you're going to struggle with that. Uh, what does it mean to get a sword in your soul? Well, Jesus said, I've come to bring peace, but peace comes through the sword. And the sword comes only through the gospel. The sword of the gospel comes, and it pierces our hearts. And, it, and the gospel pierces our hearts, and the light goes on. And the light comes in. And then what happens? What happens is, Number one, we're told by Paul, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Well, peace came through the sword. How does Jesus pierce our hearts? Well, three things, three, three, three ways. And, how, you know, and there's many more, but let me just give you three. Number one, in salvation. You see, we must all allow the sword to pierce our soul in salvation. We must allow the gospel, the sword of the gospel, to bring the glorious light into our soul. Uh, there, we have to stop trying to self-save ourselves. And that's what we often do. We try to, you know, and we live, in, we live in a community that's overrun by people who are very nice, very religious, very good. They, 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 they don't cheat. They don't cheat on their families. They're, they're faithful. They work hard. They go to church. They believe in God. They, they do all these, they shovel their neighbor's sidewalks. They're, they're really good people. And, and, and many people, if you say, are you going to go to heaven? I don't know. If you go and God were at the gate, why would he let you in? Because I did this, this, and this. What are they saying? I'm self-saving myself. I'm creating a resume that's so impressive that God's going to say, you deserve to be in heaven, and none of us deserves to be in heaven. You see, you have to come to a point, and you have to say, I am so lost. I am so helpless. And only Jesus can save me. He's my only hope. He's my only prayer. And I need my soul to be pierced by the gospel. Without that, I'm dead. When we get our, our hearts pierced, and when we see, we see that he was pierced for us, you see, this piercing came to him first. And, and that's why the prophecy of Zechariah is so powerful when you think of what, uh, what Simeon has just said to Mary. He says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced and mourned for him as only a son. They will grieve bitterly for him and as for a firstborn son who has died. The ultimate piercing of Mary is not when she brought her firstborn son to be dedicated, but when she watched her firstborn son die. 
When you begin to understand the gospel, it will pierce your heart. It will cut it up. It will break it up. It will melt it. It will enlighten it. It will bring it to life. As you reflect on the gospel, see, it's, it's not just a one-time thing. Hopefully, as a follower of Jesus Christ, over and over and over again, the gospel sword will pierce your heart. It will, you know, because let's, let's be honest, in, as we walk with God, sometimes our heart gets hard. Sometimes our heart gets cold. Sometimes our heart just, it, just, it, it, it goes to sleep. And God has to wake it up and, and and, and, and we, we have to say, God, don't allow my heart to fall asleep. Don't allow my heart to grow cold. Don't allow my heart uh, to, 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 to become hard. Break it up. Bring the sword of the gospel to break it up over and over and over and over and over. And that leads us to the second point, repentance. We must allow the sword of the gospel to cut to the core of our lives, to go below the surface. Um, because here's where we're at. And this is true for every follower of Jesus Christ. The reason you sin, the reason that you disobey God, the reason that you get into trouble in in the Christian life is because you have basically said, you may have not said it verbally, but you have said it through your actions, you've said it through your course of action, Jesus, you're not enough for me. You're not enough. I need more. I need this person. I need this relationship. I need this job. I need this house. I need this car. I need this. I need this. You're not enough for me. That's where we get into sin. Sin always arises out of that. We always say to Jesus, Jesus, um, I need this relationship because I don't feel secure about myself or I don't feel I'm significant. And when I'm with this person, I feel significant. And, and Jesus has said to us, you are significant. How could you not think you're significant? I got off of my throne. I came to earth. I got up on a cross and I died for you. you the God of the universe gave his life for you. Is that not a sign of significance? Is that not a sign of security? If he died for you, doesn't that mean that he will raise you, that he has a plan for you? Is, you see, and, and that's where we sin. We say, Jesus, you're just not enough. You're just not enough for me. Sin always is about not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Your love, your grace, your mercy is just not enough. I need more. All sin comes because we don't believe his love is enough. So we go looking elsewhere. And we need the, we need the gospel, the sword of the gospel to pierce our souls. To bring us to a point of repentance where we say, you're more than I need. You're more than enough. You're amazing. You're incredible. I'm stunned. I'm awed. I'm, I'm amazed by you. And we could sing it. It's one thing to sing it. It's another thing to live it. Let me give you one more. Obedience. We'll always, and, and, and this is true in a Christian life, you're always going to come to these forks in the road. You're always going to come to these points in the road where we have to choose whether we're going to obey or not. We're going to have to choose whether Jesus is going to be a building block or a stumbling block. We come to a point, and, and, and you know, I'm, if he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, we have no other option but to obey. Now, we can choose not to obey. I'm not saying you can't choose, you, you, you have to obey him. I'm just saying if you choose to disobey him, you do it to your own peril. You do it to your own detriment. You do it to your own downfall if you choose that. But you'll come to those, those forks in the road all the time. Let me just give you a common one that I talk with people about all the time. They'll come to me and say, I'm with this person. I know that I shouldn't be, but I'm happy. And after all, doesn't God want me happy? And what they're saying is I'm at a fork in the road. We're going to go further with this relationship. We're going to go one way or the other. 
And I'm leaning very heavily to go down this road. I know God doesn't want me to go down that road, but I don't think Jesus is enough. So I need Jesus and this person will be enough or whatever it is. And so they're, they're basically, and you know, they come and they'll sit down and talk with you and try to justify it. And you say, you really know that this person isn't the right one for you. And that if you go down this road, it isn't ultimately going to do what you think it will. In fact, it's going to Some of you are here this weekend and you're here this morning and you, you, are, you have battle scars because you know what I mean. When you, when you chose to go down this road, instead of obediently following, you know, this is an easy road to go down. I mean, it's, it's, it, he, Jesus describes it as a wide road that leads to destruction. It's easy to get on and there's a lot of people on it. It's hard to walk away. It's hard to say, you know what? Jesus, you're King of Kings and you're Lord of Lords. Game over. If you want me to go down this road, if you want me to break this relationship off, I'll break it off because I believe that you're enough. And I believe that you, if, if I need to be with another person and, and it needs to be the right person, you're going to provide that person. Not just one area. It could be a job. It could be anything. But, I mean, then you have to allow the sword to pierce your soul. And you, what I'm saying is over and over and over, if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, as Mary stood there, Simeon said to her, this boy, this baby, this child is going to pierce your soul. And he did it over and over and over in her life. And the final one was when he, she stood under the cross and she watched her son die. And if you're a faithful follower, you have to say, Jesus, I understand that when I hitch my life to you because you're the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you need to have permission to pierce my soul, not just once, but many times. To break my heart, to warm my heart, to change my heart, to transform my heart. You ha- and I give you permission to do that. And we are told that Mary did stand at the foot of the cross when Jesus suffered his final and suffered and finally died. And when he breathed his last breath, the piercing of Mary's soul was complete. And if you want to become one of his followers, know this, that he will pierce your soul. And he has the right to do it. He has the right to pierce your soul. Why? Because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if he is God, then he has the right to pierce your soul. You are not the potter. You are the clay, as Paul would say. But more than that, he has the right to pierce your soul. Because he is the one who went to the cross and allowed his soul to be pierced for you. He was pierced for you. And so he has the right to to demand your allegiance, not just because he's the king of kings and lord of lords, because he was pierced for you. And if he wasn't pierced for you, you would have no hope, you would have no life. Jesus took the sword in his soul so that you could live. And he calls you to take the sword of the gospel in your soul, not just once, but whenever. To find, and, and, and when you do that, you will find the purpose and meaning of life both now and forever. What I'm saying is essentially this. If you let the sword of the gospel pierce your soul, it will kill you. But it will give you life. Now, that kind of takes away 
this little peaceful little baby in a manger, doesn't it? It's a pretty radical message. It's a pretty in your face. It's a pretty, and that's what Jesus was. I mean, even his own mother, over and over and over, she doesn't understand what's going on. But you know what? The piercing came, but she still trusted. The piercing came over and over and over, but she still trusted. That's what faithful followers do. They say, you're the king. You're the Lord. You were pierced for me. I'll be pierced for you. That's what it means to walk with God. Simeon said to Mary, your soul is going to get a sword right through it. And if you're a faithful follower, so will yours. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard message, but it's true. There is a point where we have got to stop playing games about who you are. You're not just some innocent. Jesus is not some innocent baby in a manger who coos, who lays there. He's king of kings and lord of lords who's on a mission to save us. And he accomplished that mission. And now he calls us after he went through the cross and was pierced for us. He calls us to give him our full allegiance and allow him to pierce our hearts whenever he wishes. That's hard. That's a rough road. But it's the only road for a faithful follower. And Jesus, may we be on that road with you. May we be pierced as you were pierced for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.